0: I'm a fun guy. <laughs> I can tell you firsthand, this studio is full of fun guys like me. Hi everybody, Tanner Hoops with you. Welcome to the sports pen on this Monday afternoon. Yeah, it's Monday. Another work week, we get started, but you're a fun guy, I bet out there too. I bet you're making the most of it. We have got plenty to talk about around the wide world of sports here on ESPN UP, the ESPN UP mobile app. We'll start first and foremost with women's soccer the United States women's national team winning last night over Jamaica 5-0 qualifying for the 2019 World Cup in France the U.S. has made all eight women's World Cups they're the only nation to have won it three times the most recent title was three years ago in 2015 the U.S. will take on Canada Wednesday night in the Consica final Congratulations to the women's squad. Looking forward to watching them next year in France at the 2019 Women's Soccer World Cup. A lot of fans in the UP excited for tonight. A couple points of interest to watch out for. Green Bay Packers Monday night football. They take on San Francisco. Meanwhile, the Brewers head out west for game three of the NLCS. A reminder that we will have coverage of all remaining Brewer postseason games right here on ESPN-UP, the ESPN-UP mobile app. Be sure to tune in as the Brew crew extends their run into October, looking for a pivotal Game 3 win tonight. Whoever wins can take that 2-1 series lead. The Dodgers earn the split in Milwaukee. They get home field advantage for this best-of-seven series as the Brewer bullpen which has been their strength throughout the season, faltered in the first two games of the NLCS. The Dodgers able to take advantage for the Brewers, a team that relies so heavily on the back end of that bullpen. Guys like Hayter and Jeffress and Canable, you've got to get the best out of those guys, and this is the time of the year where you need them to be your best. The Dodgers offense, you knew how good it is. The Brewers have a great offense too, but when your clear advantage in the series is the bullpen, you have to make it an advantage. The Brewers gave up their card last night, gave up their upper hand, because the bullpen wasn't getting the outs that they're designed to do. Milwaukee is a team that is guaranteed a win if they have a lead after the sixth inning. Once again, game three set this evening from Dodgers Stadium, 739 first pitch. Milwaukee taking on the Dodgers' Yolis Chichin going up against Walker Bueller is the pitching matchup. cha a 15-game winner this year. 350 ERA, 156 strikeouts, just under 200 innings. Walker Buehler, 8-5. He has struck out 151 in 137 in the third innings pitched. His ERA sits at 262. He has been the steady Eddie of the Dodgers staff this season. Over in the ALCS, we have a tie series as well. Red Sox battle back last night. They win 7-5 at Fenway Park. Series even at a game apiece, they have the travel day today as they go to Minute Maid Park down in Houston. Our biggest takeaway from that series, however, could be the need for electronic strike zones. Joe West is getting to the point in his career where he's got veteran status. He just does not seem to care anymore. Blatant strike call. If you saw the series, you know what I'm talking about. Saturday night in Game 1. Blatant strike call that he missed. Even the biggest traditionalists in baseball are looking at that call and saying, this needs to change. Even Jerry Seinfeld is saying, this isn't good for baseball. Something has to change. Thus far, the AL playoffs have been marred by poor umpiring. Angel Hernandez in the ALDS. Then Joe West in the ALCS. At what point do electronic strike zones become a thing? How long until Rob Manfred pulls the trigger does he? Or will it be a commissioner following him? It's going to happen. It's not a question of if, it is, when. It's going to happen. Baseball is getting more modern all the time. Traditionalists hate it, but it's the reality that we're living. And I don't have a fixed opinion for it either way. Obviously, I want as many calls to be correct as possible, but there is human element to the game. I can see it from both sides. I don't have a strong opinion on this, but I know it is going to happen. It is going to happen. There's no evading it. Tell us what you think. Send us your thoughts on Twitter at ESPNUP. Get connected with us. You can do so with our free mobile app as well. Go to Google Play, the Apple iStore. You can hear live broadcast. You can hear the Brewers game coming up tonight. Once again, 739 for those of us here in the Eastern Time Zone. You can get... On-demand broadcast, Westwood Patriot Athletics, the Sports Pen, Saturday morning coaches shows, what have you. You can tune into everything that we put out. All of our content available in one place. You can get connected with us on social media as well. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. We love getting connected with you just as much as you get connected with us. All right, moving on to the NFL. Julio Jones. When's he going to catch a touchdown? He's putting up good numbers, he's having a great season, but he doesn't get a touchdown. How do you think he feels when he does so much to get his team down there in the red zone only to see Matt Ryan throw it at the receivers? Here's the thing, I don't think he cares as much as the media makes it out that he does, but he cares more than he lets on. He's a humble guy, he says all the right things, you gotta put the team first, what have you. It's not about who scores it as long as the points go on the board. But it's got to matter to him. He does so much for this team. And he's within 400 yards of breaking the NFL single season record for yards without a touchdown. If you're wondering, the record was set by Al Toon in 1991 as a member of the New York Jets. 963 passing yards without a touchdown. Closest to anybody's come to breaking it in recent memory, Hakeem Nix back in 2013 with the Giants. 896 yards without a touchdown. Julio Jones getting up there on the list. He is within 399 yards of tying the record set by Al Toon back in 91. After yesterday's game, in which he went over 100 yards, by the way, still held without a touchdown, Julio has 564 receiving yards this season. The Falcons held on for a big win yesterday. They moved to 2-4. and four. They're still alive in the South. Julio is a big part of that. 143 yards of reception. You need every little bit in a tight game like they had yesterday with Tampa Bay. But you feel for Julio. When's he going to get that score? He's not getting any younger. You wonder how many seasons he's got left, especially if he takes an injury here down the stretch. Have we seen Julio's last touchdown? Vote in our Twitter poll. We'd love to hear from you. Do you think Julio Jones will set the NFL single season record for receiving yards without a touchdown? Again, he is 399 away from tying Al Toon's record set back in 1991. He's 400 away from setting it himself. Will Julio Jones get to 964 yards before catching a touchdown this season? It would be a new NFL record if he does. Vote in our Twitter poll at ESPNUP. Let us know what you think. We want to hear your thoughts, get your input. Julio Jones on record watch. Just maybe not the one that he was expecting or at least hoping for. Let's look back at the NFL yesterday. Week 6 games going on. The New York Jets with a shootout victory over Indianapolis 42-34. The Colts defense continues to be their Achilles heel. Meanwhile, the Jets are back to .500, 3-3 record. Two touchdown passes from rookie quarterback Sam Darnold. Jason Myers sets a franchise record with seven field goals as New York gets the win over Indy. The Colts, by the way, falling to one and five on the season. Seattle has no problem with Oakland. They win 27-3, and the frustrations continue for John Gruden. Seahawks back to 503 3 3-3. Oakland, meanwhile, dropping to 1-5 in Gruden's return. Washington with a gritty win. 23-17, they top the Panthers. Both teams sit at 3-2. Atlanta, as mentioned, close win over Tampa Bay, 34-29. Falcons are two and four. Tampa Bay falls to two and three. Pittsburgh, with a last-second win over Cincinnati, Steelers are now three, two and one after the 28-21 victory. Cincinnati falling to four and two. They still lead the AFC North division, but Antonio Brown's late touchdown pass is what was enough to get the Steelers over the top. The LA Chargers with a 38-14 win over Cleveland. Chargers are 4-2. Cleveland is now 2-3-1. Cleveland just had no shot from the beginning of this game. The Chargers came out. They looked good. They blew the doors off the place and had a proficient offense working early. Minnesota with a 10-point victory at home, 27-17 to 17 over Arizona. The Vikings are 3-2-1. and one. Arizona, meanwhile, drops to 1-5. and five. An overtime contest on South Beach, Miami. Taking down the Chicago Bears 31-28. Dolphins are 4-2. and They bounce back after two devastating losses in which their defense did not play well. Chicago, meanwhile, drops to 3-2. and They still hold the top spot in the NFC North. That game, by the way, set history in itself. This is the first NFL season in history in which the first six weeks of the season have all featured at least one overtime game. Miami had a chance to win it with a touchdown on the goal line. It was fumbled away by Kenyon Drake. Chicago brings it down, misses a long field goal, and Miami comes back the other way. They don't miss it. As time expires, they beat the buzzer, and they beat Chicago. Houston with a 20-13 win over Buffalo, a game-winning interception return for a touchdown. Jonathan Joseph picks off Nathan Peterman, brings it back 28 yards for six, and that's enough to win. The ball game for Houston, they're 3-3. Buffalo, meanwhile, drops to 2-4 and on the year. The Rams survive a tight game with Denver, 23-20. Maybe a little closer than a lot of people expected. Todd Gurley, a big day, 208 yards rushing. As the Rams remain unbeaten at 6-0, the Broncos fall to 2-4. Dallas absolutely rolls Jacksonville yesterday. The Cowboys are 3-3, Jacksonville falling to 3-3. The Jags' dominant defense... Hasn't looked so dominant here in the last couple of games. Dallas, a big win yesterday. Baltimore with a shutout victory at Tennessee yesterday. The Ravens are four and two. Titans fall back to five hundred at three and three. Twenty-one nothing. The Ravens win. They pile up a team record. Eleven sacks of Marcus Mariota. He completed only ten passes. He got sacked eleven times. That's one shy of setting a new NFL record. And if you watched Sunday night football last night. You were in for a delight, an offensive delight, that is. New England surviving a scare from Kansas City and Foxborough, 43-40, to the Patriots hand Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City, their first loss this season. The game ends with a 28-yard field goal from Steven Guskowski to give New England the lead. By the way, more NFL history yesterday. That was the first game in league history to end with a final score of 43-40, to New England after starting one and two as one three straight, they are now four and two. Meanwhile Kansas City. 5 and 1 on the season still first place in the West. Again, Thursday night football saw the Philadelphia Eagles start the week with a 34-13 win over the New York Giants. Philadelphia improves to 3 and 3, New York falls back to 1 and 5. We conclude week 6 this evening with Monday night football in Lambo as San Francisco visits Green Bay. A 1 and 4 49er team going up against Green Bay 2-2 two, two and 1. It is a primetime showdown. For Aaron Rodgers and the Pack as they try to climb back into the race for the NFC North. Now, is it too early to ever talk about postseason predictions? I don't think so. To be realistic about them, yeah, there's a time when it's too early. But I don't think it's too early to speculate. And there's a team in the AFC this year that is emerging as a sleeper. I think they're going to be the top wildcard team. And nobody seems to want to give them credit. And maybe it's because of their history, maybe it's because of their, of their recent struggles, but there is one team people are not talking about as they should, and they're starting to gain a little recognition. One of the most dangerous teams that anyone could see down the stretch they again into December or January. Their head coach believes that their running back has a lot to do with getting this team to believe in themselves and getting them to play to their full potential. Take a listen. Well, he played well today. Um, I'm not sure if it's the best I've seen him play. I mean, I had to go back and watch the tape, but I love the way he's running. I mean, I'm telling you, he's, a, he's a inspiring our whole sideline, you know, the way he runs when he gets violent. That was Los Angeles Chargers head coach Anthony Lynn on his running back, Melvin Gordon. The Los Angeles Chargers are going to be a playoff team in 2018-2019. You heard it here. They're going to. They're going to be the top wildcard team in the AFC They're not getting enough credit, maybe because they're the Chargers, and L.A. going to L.A.? You think back to their San Diego days, and they always seem to be one of the most disappointing teams when you get down the stretch. They've got a shot to do something special this year. Melvin Gordon, as he starts to come into his own, develop more as a professional running back, he's getting this team to believe. They're not only doing it offensively, they're doing it on both sides of the ball, according to Anthony Lynn. Well, I got to tell you, our defense, they protect every inch. They're not in until the end now with our defense. You just never know. So when a guy's on the one-yard line of a team, that doesn't faze me because, like I say, we protect every inch. So here the Chargers sit, 4-2. and two. They looked great yesterday, although it was Cleveland, but keep in mind Cleveland's better this year. They're one game behind Kansas City for the division lead. I don't think they're going to catch Kansas City. Kansas City's offense is too good. I think that's going to be a great matchup, though. But I don't think they're going to catch Kansas City. Patrick Mahomes is the real deal. Chargers still give me some questions. But they're going to be a playoff team. And they're a team nobody wants to see in the wild card game. Now, how far can the Chargers go? To me, I still look back at their history. I'm one of those people. I, I have pause at what they've done in the past. Or what they haven't done, I should say. And that succeed late in the year, going into the postseason. But they're not giving us any reason to think they aren't going to be a consistent team. Right now, they haven't given us any reason. This season, in this moment, the Chargers have not given us a reason to think the bottom's going to fall out like it seems to do every year, whether they're in Los Angeles or they're in San Diego. But they're not giving us reason to think that this year. Because of that, because of what happened in the past, I'm still not picking them to go to the Super Bowl or even to the AFC Championship. But could they? You bet they could. The team's playing well right now. They're playing fundamentally good football on both sides of the ball. They're giving us reason to think this is going to be a consistent theme for them. And the AFC, traditional powers, think about them this year. Steelers are down. Bengals are leading the AFC North. New England has looked shaky. They've been much better here as of late, especially offensively. Jacksonville has been awful the last couple of weeks. That defense is their calling card, and when that's not working for them, nothing's working for them. So why couldn't the Chargers be a dangerous playoff team? I'm in on this team. Am I in on a making Super Bowl 53? No, not yet. It's possible. That's right, Chargers in the Super Bowl. It is possible. They've been playing good football this year. They're not giving us reason to think that's going to stop. The only reason we think it's going to stop is because of the lack of success this franchise has had in the past, but Anthony Lynn is a young coach, he's got a bright future in this league, just his second year with LA. He is going through a culture change in LA right now, not just with the Chargers, the Rams as well. Only undefeated team left in the NFL. Anthony Lynn, Phillip Rivers' veteran presence, and Melvin Gordon's leadership are changing the culture of the Los Angeles Chargers. And they're going from a bottom feeder even in their own division to a team that can seriously contend come January in the NFL postseason. We've got more on that, plus much more throughout the sports spectrum coming up throughout the day. This is the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP and the ESPN-UP mobile app. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, the Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Don't forget Pigskin Payday is back. Pick the winner of each week's game to win. Play all season long for the $100,000 grand prize only available at Ojibwe Casino in Baraga and Marquette. Tanner Hoops with you on this Monday afternoon. We've got football coming up this evening from Lambeau Field. Just about three hours to the south of us, the Packers will be welcoming the San Francisco 49ers. Monday night battle as A-Rodge and the Pack look to get back into the thick of things in the NFC North, which has turned out to be surprisingly competitive this season. Now, the NFC North teams got help yesterday with a Bears loss. Vikings won. Lions had the week off. So Green Bay wants to keep pace with Minnesota and wants to gain ground on Chicago. They're coming off a 31-23 loss to Detroit last week. How will Mason Crosby respond tonight? He's back in his home environment. Packers with a win can get over 500 on the season. San Fran has not had a good year. They're one and four. They're down a quarterback with Jimmy Garoppolo tearing his ACL. What kind of game does Aaron Rodgers need to have? It always seems to be that the pressure's put on Rodgers, no matter what. The pressure's put on him. Why do you think that is? Not only is he the best player on the team, he's in a system that seems to go against. What he wants to do, it challenges him as a quarterback in a way that's not healthy for QB's development. Mike McCarthy's system is not a good fit with Aaron Rodgers, maybe not for Green Bay as a whole, but it's all on him to run that offense. The offensive line, when they're healthy, they're okay. The running game is a big question mark right now. Let's just say Jamal Williams is not the long-term solution at running back for the Green Bay Packers. Devontae Adams has been the top receiver. But you've got to have a defense behind you. That's been the struggle for Rodgers. He can put up points with the best of them. He would have loved playing a game like we saw on Sunday Night Football last night. But unlike Tom Brady, unlike Patrick Mahomes, he doesn't have near as explosive offensive players as they do. Patrick Mahomes has all the toys he could want to play with in an offense over in Kansas City. Aaron Rodgers has nothing close to that. It's not to dump and rip on the Packers' offense, the skilled positions, but they just don't have the talent on the offensive end that New England and Kansas City, among other teams, possess this year. Packers need to upgrade at running back. They could use a few at receivers. Defense needs a big, big facelift, big upgrade there. The good news for them as they're playing a one-and-four San Francisco team tonight. Backup quarterback C.J. Bethard He's had to step in for Jimmy Garoppolo. 57 completions on 91 attempts this season. Four TDs, four picks. He's thrown for 647 yards. His favorite target? George Kittle, his college tight end at the University of Iowa. 23 catches for just shy of 400 yards this year. Jimmy Garoppolo would only throw down the middle. He didn't want to go outside or down the sideline. He was comfortable as a pocket passer going down the middle to find George Kittle. Did not expect that to change when they made the quarterback switch because of an injury. Bethard is familiar with Kittle. Those two hooked up plenty wearing Iowa Hawkeye uniforms, they're doing the same in San Francisco. This is where your linebackers have to step up, take out their leading receiver. They're going to need a big game from Clay Matthews tonight. No penalties, nothing like that. Clay Matthews is going to have to have one of his best games of the season. And this is a crucial matchup for the Packers, make no mistake. How detrimental would it be to fall below 500 in that division and give San Francisco their second win? This is a big game for the Packers, about as big as you can get in Week 6, especially the way this division has played out. Green Bay is trying to stay out of the division's cellar this evening. The game's going to be played in 35-degree weather at Lambeau Field. San Fran coming from where it's sunny in 75. This is a game Green Bay has to win, not they should win. If the Packers want to make the postseason, this is a must-win. Speaking of postseason, let's transition to college football. Big movement around the AP Top 10 this week. You look at the new poll, Alabama's still number one. They have all but one. First place vote in the AP poll this week. Ohio State comes in second. Clemson and Notre Dame are the top four. Again, the top four make the college football playoff at the end of the season. Right now it's Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, and Notre Dame. LSU big movers after their win against Georgia. They jump from 13th to 5th. Up eight spots, LSU right back into the playoff conversation at 6-1. and one. Then Michigan, another big mover this week. They go from 12th to 6th. They blow out Wisconsin, what was basically an elimination game for somebody. And they spoil all hopes of the Badgers trying to get into the college football playoff. Michigan has won six in a row. They move up six spots to number six, and at 6-1, and one, they are knocking on the door said last week in the show I had questions about where Michigan was they were taken to the wire by Northwestern probably shouldn't have even won that game they had won five in a row entering play this weekend was that a product of their schedule or were they actually turning a corner and getting better this weekend answered a ton of questions not only for me but for everybody following college football this year Michigan is a good team Michigan is a good team Are they college football playoff good? They still have a long way to go. They're going through the most brutal part of their schedule right now. Yeah, they got the statement win at home against Wisconsin. They made a statement and give Coach Harbaugh and the guys a ton of credit for the job they did. But now they've got Michigan State and they've got Penn State back-to-back. This is going to be a tough stretch for Michigan. They are a good enough team to be in the top ten. But are they college football playoff good? If they can win these next two games, it's going to be really hard to keep Michigan out. Their week one loss, seven points at Notre Dame. That looks really, really good now, especially as the Irish continue to win. So once again, LSU and Michigan jump up to five and six in this week's AP poll. They are the first two out in the college football playoff picture as it stands after this weekend. You have Texas moving up two spots to number seven, Georgia falling from number two to number eight with their loss in Baton Rouge, Oklahoma up two spots to number nine, and Central Florida holds at number 10. So that is the top 10 in this week's AP poll, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, Notre Dame, the top four, LSU, Michigan, five and six, then seven through 10, Texas, Georgia, Oklahoma, and Central Florida. You have the University of Florida. Up three spots to number 11. They survive a scare in Nashville this weekend as they take care of Vanderbilt. Oregon, big movers. They jump up to number 12. West Virginia, losing in Ames this weekend. Iowa State, their first loss, they drop seven spots to number 13. Kentucky, up four spots. their 14th. And Washington, after a game that they very well could have won at the end of regulation, save for a missed field goal, then lose in overtime, they drop... Eight spots to number fifteen in this week's ranking. North Carolina State still undefeated. They're five and zero. They're up four spots to number sixteen. Texas A&M, Penn State, seventeen and eighteen. Penn State falling this weekend from the top ten. Iowa re-entering the top twenty. They're ranked again this week. Unranked last week. As they move in to number nineteen in this week's poll at five and one, and then Cincinnati at six and zero, they move up five spots, number twenty. So again, eleven through twenty in this week's AP poll: Florida, Oregon, West Virginia, Kentucky, Washington, the top fifteen. Sixteen through twenty: North Carolina State, Texas A and M, Penn State, Iowa, Cincinnati. Twenty-one through twenty-five: South Florida up two spots, number twenty-one. Mississippi State up two spots, number twenty-two. Wisconsin tumbles eight spots to number 23 after falling in Ann Arbor this weekend. Michigan State, they have two bad losses on their resume. They got their best win of the season this weekend over Penn State. They rejoined the top 25. They enter at number 24 in this week's poll with a 4-2 record. And then Washington State, now 5-1. They join the rankings this week. And again, they're going to be hosting college game day this week. That's right, for the first time ever, College Game Day will be making the trip to Pullman. Can't wait for Mike Leach this week. But going back to this previous weekend, it was a struggle for ranked teams. Four of the top ten teams fall this weekend. Few of them had scares. Notre Dame was trailing Pitt at halftime. They survived 19-14 to in South Bend, mind you. Ohio State struggled to get by Minnesota, but they eventually do. Alabama hasn't even looked like the dominant force we've come to expect from them this year. Are they the best team in college football this season? Absolutely. I don't think there's many people who disagree with that. I think Alabama still is the best team in college football. But their defense hasn't looked like the traditional Crimson Tide defense that we're accustomed to seeing over the last few years. Granted, they held Missouri to 10 points in Tuscaloosa this weekend. But you remember Nick Saban's presser last week after giving up 31 against Arkansas? If you don't, we'll play that back. Well, coach, lots of positives, lots of things to coach off of as well. How did you guys feel if you came out and played after the second half? Well, I thought we played a little bit better for a while, but you know, we scored 65 points, so you can't complain too much about that on offense. But, you know, defensively we didn't execute very well, and you know, you gotta give them a lot of credit for the job they did. But Uh, It's a little disappointing that we're not making the improvement we'd like to make on that side of the ball. When you're playing some reserves, some younger players, you're trying to see what you got out of that group. Did you see some things that encouraged you today? Well, you know, I think the experience is invaluable to them. So uh, the more they get to play, the more I think they'll improve. Still not the greatest soundbite we've gotten from Satan this year. All right, coach, everyone had questions about who was going to start at quarterback when this game started. What answers did you have about your quarterbacks after watching both of them play tonight? Well, I still like both guys. I think both guys are good players. I think both guys can help our team. All right, so why do you continually try to get me to say something that doesn't respect one of them? I'm not going to, so quit asking. Honey, will you please stop breaking down defensive game footage and come help me hang these curtains? I'm not going to, so quit asking. Going back to Sabin's presser and his comments after last week's win over Arkansas, yeah, he's happy they scored 65 points, but he feels that they should have won 65 to nothing. He's not happy with a 34-point victory as long as his team has given up 31 points. And their coach is out there thinking, I'm not going to win three games this year. I'd be okay with giving up 31 and I still win. Sounds like a good deal to me. But that's what makes Nick Saban such a great coach. Now, I'm not a Saban fan or anything like that, but you got to respect him professionally for what he's done. He's built a dynasty in Alabama. Despite their struggles defensively, they have still been the most impressive and complete team in college football this season. I don't think this is the best Crimson Tide team Saban has coached, but they are the best team in college football this season up to this point. And a big reason why is because of the standards that Nick Saban sets for himself and his program. You can say whatever you want about him. As far as his fire, his passion, whatever you want to call it, it translates to success. couple big wins for Michigan colleges this weekend in Big Ten play. Michigan State goes on the road. They win at Happy Valley 21-17. Brian Lewerke leads his team to a comeback victory over the eighth-ranked Nittany Lions. 19 seconds left in the game, Lewerke finds Felton Davis from 25 yards out for what proves to be the game-winning touchdown pass. Lewerke finishes the day 24 for 52, 259 yards, two TDs, and one pick as Michigan State finds a way to pick up their fourth win, of the season. They get their biggest in the process. Meanwhile, you have the primetime matchup at the big house in Ann Arbor with Michigan hosting Wisconsin. An elimination game for somebody as far as college football playoff contention. Michigan with their biggest statement win this year, 38 13. They drub Wisconsin. Wisconsin had tied the game at one point. It was 7 7. Shea Patterson, 14 for 21, 124 yards. Karan Higby. 19 carries, 105 yards, including a score. Donovan Peoples-Jones, three catches, 30 yards. He was a leader in that category. None of those numbers stand out terribly much. But those were the leaders in passing, rushing, and receiving. And nonetheless, Michigan got it done because of a balanced offensive effort. Michigan not only showed their offensive and defensive ability, they showed their depth. They showed their depth this weekend. That seems to be the concept that everybody is overlooking. Michigan is deeper than they let on. They can spread the wealth. They don't have to rely on Patterson to complete 25 passes and go for 200 yards a game. Karan Higby doesn't have to have 150 yards rushing every game. Their leading receiver can be held to 30 yards and no scores, and they can still win handily. That's the biggest takeaway for Michigan from this game, and they are a legit college football playoff contender. It's hate week up here in Michigan this week. State, take it on the U of M. Other Michigan college scores from Division One this weekend. Eastern gets the win over Toledo 28 to 26. A one point heartbreaking loss for Central Michigan falling to Bull State 24 to 23. A 36 yard field goal with 47 seconds left was enough to lift ball over Central Michigan. Meanwhile, Western Michigan, 42-35. They take down Bowling Green in a shootout. The Division II level, things didn't go well for Northern on Saturday as they are unable to stop the smash-mouth offense that Saginaw State brought to the table and the Cardinals win handily down in Saginaw. Back to the Big Ten. How about poor Scott Frost? What does this guy need to do? The Cornhuskers are 0-6 for the first time in school history. Let's face it. They blew that game in Chicago on Saturday. They blew it against Northwestern. The Huskers had a seven-point lead with just over a minute to go. They had Northwestern pinned at their own one with no timeouts, having to drive the length of the field. They do it, tie the game up with 12 seconds left. At that point, Northwestern had a 7% chance of winning, according to the oddsmakers. They drive 99 yards with no timeouts, and they score, send the game to overtime. Nebraska throws an interception on their first possession in overtime. Northwestern lines up for a field goal. Boom, game's over. Nebraska's 0-6. Now Scott Frost is not on the hot seat. Despite what you might read in USA Today, Scott Frost didn't go anywhere this season. Keep in mind, he was signed to a lengthy contract But beyond that, Nebraska looks at him and what he did for the school as a player back in the 90s and what he did at Central Florida. Keep in mind, Central Florida two years ago was 0-12, Scott Frost's first season there. The next year, 13-0 last season. That's what brought him up to Nebraska, back to his alma mater. Scott Frost knows a thing or two about turning a winless program into an undefeated program. He's done it. He did it last year. That's what Nebraska is hoping for. Now I know he did it with UCF at the mid-major level. Nebraska's a power five team with high expectations and an impatient fan base. But they have the respect for Scott Frost and what he's done, not only at Nebraska as a player, but at UCF as a head coach. And they're going to wait this thing out. Scott Frost is not leaving before the end of this season. I don't think he'll leave before the end of next season. He could go 0-24 in his first two years there. Then he might be out the door. But he'll get a finish those two years. He could go 0-24 and he will finish his first two years at Nebraska. Now, there's not a lot of Nebraska sympathizers up here. I'm not one. But you got to feel for Scott Frost. He just seems like a good guy. Seems like one of the good guys in football. And it's unfortunate where he's in a situation coming back to his alma mater and just not having success especially with the expectations that were put upon him. We have got more coming up throughout the sports pen. Keep it tuned right here at ESPN-UP and the ESPN-UP mobile app. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Don't forget, Pigskin Payday is back. Pick the winner of each week's game to win. Play all season long for the $100,000 grand prize only at Ojibwe Casino in Baraga and Marquette. Tanner Hoops with you as we plow through this Monday afternoon right here on ESPN-UP, the ESPN-UP mobile app. College hockey returning to the UP over the weekend up in Houghton. Michigan Tech welcomed the defending national champions third-ranked Minnesota Duluth Ended up being a series sweep for the Bulldogs. They come in and take two from the Huskies. But you get Northern Michigan heading down to East Lansing. They earn a series split with the Spartans. Falling by a couple of goals on Friday night. Come back to win 4-3 to on Saturday. Looking around the rest of the college hockey landscape. Not too many problems for the top-ranked Ohio State Buckeyes this weekend in the desert. They top Arizona State 3-2 and 3-0 in the two games played there. They have got their home opener coming up this weekend in Columbus as they welcome UMass. And next week, a home-and-home series against Bowling Green before open up Big Ten play. Notre Dame, the second-ranked team in the country, they get a top-five victory as they blank Providence 3-0 in Erie, Pennsylvania to clinch the Icebreaker Championship. That comes on the heel of tying Mercyhurst in the semifinal the previous night. It's wonderful having college hockey back. We've got NHL starting to get in full swing. Four games tonight around the National Hockey League. 7.30 puck drop for three of them. Can the Red Wings notch their first win of the season tonight in Montreal? Jimmy Howard expected to go for the Wings. He is matched up against Anti Niemi who is giving Kerry Price the night off. Also, Dallas takes on Ottawa. Ben Bishop in net for the Stars against Craig Anderson. The Kings visit Toronto to take on the surging Maple Leafs. Jack Campbell in net. His counterpart is Garrett Sparks. The lone 8 o'clock game this evening. Minnesota visiting defending Central Division champion Nashville. Alex Stalock is the goaltender for the Wild. Pecorine expected to be in net for the Preds. Injury update throughout the league. Vancouver rookie Elias Patterson is out 7-10 to 10 days with a concussion. He suffered at Saturday night after he was driven in the boards by Mike Matheson when Vancouver took on the Florida Panthers. Matheson will have a phone hearing with the NHL regarding possible suspension and or fines resulting from the hit. Tough blow for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Justin Schultz is expected to miss four months as he suffered a leg fracture Saturday night against Montreal, and it comes right as the Penguins were starting to get healthy again with Matt Murray getting back into the swing of things. The Penguins lose a really good defenseman, a guy who's been on the third line, been grinding and working his way up, an excellent slap shot from the point acquired from Arizona a couple of years back. He's been a big part of the Penguins' success over the last couple of seasons. Looking at baseball, we'll continue to monitor the Chris Sale situation. In case you missed that, Sale was hospitalized on Sunday afternoon with a stomach illness. His manager, Alex Corey, didn't believe it was anything too serious. But anytime you go to the hospital, you get a little worried. Sale did pitch in Game 1 of the ALCS on Saturday night. And as of right now, he's slotted to pitch in Game 5, if necessary, against Houston. That game would be in Houston. The Atlanta Braves have agreed to a two-year contract extension with manager Brian Snitker. Snitker with a big turnaround this season, leading the Braves to the National League East Division title and to the postseason. He has now won 221 games after taking over in 2016 when Freddie Gonzalez was dismissed. Snitker is a longtime member of the Braves organization. He's been a part of the team in some capacity since he was 20 years old. He has now been in the organization for 43 years, in some capacity or another. Next season will be his fourth year managing the Braves. The rest of his coaching staff, save for pitching coach Chuck Hernandez, who has been dismissed, will return with him in 2019. Getting back to Sunday Night Football, if you hate the new NFL roughing the quarterback rule, then you're in the right place. If you missed it last night, Breland Speaks, a rookie, had Tom Brady wrapped up and just seemed to let him go, Brady waltzed in the end zone for the go-ahead touchdown late in the game. Speak says that he did it over concerns about the new roughing the passer penalty. This is one of the latest instances in which we see the new roughing the passer rule ruining football as we know it. People in Kansas City think so because it may have cost their team the game. The rest of America, outside of the New England area, Hates it because they hate the Patriots. And it gave the Patriots a big break. Nonetheless, New England and Kansas City put on a show last night. And they are giving us every reason to think that they are the two best teams in the AFC this year. I won't say complete teams. Kansas City's defense is getting better. But it's not where they need it to be. You can't bank on scoring 40 points every week puts way too much pressure on your offense and a 23-year-old that you have as a quarterback. But as we get deeper into the season, the Chiefs are starting to get more healthy and they're starting to get some of those playmakers back on defense. Could we be seeing New England and Kansas City again in the postseason? Certainly hope so. So does Kansas City tight end Travis Kelsey. You know what? We just, uh, we just go out and play whoever we're dealt. You know, hopefully uh, we, we finish the season strong, find ourselves in the um, – in the race there to, in the, at the end of the playoffs. And, uh, and um, you know, whoever we're dealt with, we're dealt with. But uh, without looking for too far uh, in advance, I mean, it's uh, it'd be nice to see these guys here. Yeah. Again, there needs to be improvement on the defensive side of the ball for the Chiefs if they want to have any shot at being a Super Bowl contender this year. Right now, they can score with the best of them. But they showed last night, you've got to have some defense no matter what your offense can do. 40 points against the Patriots, that should be enough to win. And it almost was. And this Chiefs defense is going to get better and better. And they're probably going to win the AFC West. But will they be healthy at the right time? And the right time is January. Chiefs will be a playoff team. They're too talented not to be. But how are they going to fare? with the defense they have right now in a one-game situation. You go into an elimination setting, they haven't been good in those in recent years. Look what happened last year. At a 21-3 lead against Tennessee, who was not a good team. They're maybe the worst playoff team in this century to get in, and they blow a lead to them. Kansas City has got to be better on defense. If they want to be a serious contender for the AFC Championship and the Super Bowl. Speaking of defenses, they need to step it up. Jacksonville yesterday, losing forty to seven against the Cowboys. That used to be their calling card. Strong defense. Smash mouth. We're not letting you in. This is our end zone. Jalen Ramsey, he was pretty quiet afterwards. He's been humbled. Jacksonville falls to 3-1, and one. two straight games where the defense has just not looked good. They've given up 70 points in the last two games, Kansas City and Dallas. Now, I know Kansas City is rolling on offense, but Dallas certainly haven't been, especially after a crushing Sunday night football loss last week in Houston. A lot of people were speculating over Jason Garrett, what he needs to do to be a better fit in Dallas. Jason Garrett handled it the right way and responded beautifully last night. You know why? Because he quit being a conservative play caller yesterday. Jason Garrett decided to let Dak Prescott have complete control of the offense. He knows he has an athlete out there. Jason Garrett was trying to make Dak Prescott into a system quarterback that he wasn't instead of letting him be a mobile playmaker that made him so successful at Mississippi State. And Dak responded. He took the training wheels off Dak Prescott. He let him do his thing and be an NFL quarterback. And Dak responded, he put up 40 points. That to me is who the Cowboys need to be. They need to quit with the conservative play calling. Jason Garrett realizes that. Jerry Jones probably realizes that, but if he hasn't gotten rid of Jason Garrett by now, he's not going to, he's not gonna make the move. Jason Garrett has to be the one to change. He has to start coaching to the standard that Cowboy football wants, and that doesn't just mean wins, but that means taking chances with what you have, investing in your offensive line that you've put in so much money to get. You've got to use your weapons on offense when you have them, and Dak Prescott's agility, his mobility, that's a big part of it. And yesterday, we saw him turn loose. Jason Garrett turned his quarterback loose, and it responds in a 33-point blowout victory for the Dallas Cowboys. We have one more timeout to take. We'll take it now. We'll come back and we'll chat a little more on the Sports Pen. This is ESPN-UP and the ESPN-UP mobile app. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Don't forget, Pigskin Payday is back. Pick the winner of each week's game to win. Play all season long for the $100,000 grand prize. Available at Ojibwe Casino in Barraga and Marquette. Speaking of $100,000, that is how much the SEC has fined LSU for rushing the field after the Tigers beat Georgia and Baton Rouge on Saturday. I don't like that. I mean, come on, it's a big win. Saturdays down south are all about the excitement and energy that the SEC football atmosphere is supposed to bring. And then they fine them for it, for celebrating. You just knocked off the second-ranked team in the country. You yourself are right back in the college football playoff race. I don't like that out of the SEC. To me, it's diminishing their own product and what they're trying to do, the excitement they're trying to build. So LSU fined $100,000 by the SEC for rushing the field after knocking off Georgia Saturday in Baton Rouge. How about this? A bizarre story out of L.A. The Angels are looking for the heir to Mike Socha's throne. They're doing so by giving each managerial candidate a two-hour written test. That's right. If you're applying for the Angels' managerial job, you need to be prepared to take a two-hour written test. The Angels say the test designed to show the candidates' ability to manage in-game situations and their use of analytics. Seems bizarre to me. You have Mike Trout, you've got Cole Calhoun, a healthy Garrett Richards, hopefully. Shohei Otani can be in the batting lineup. You don't need a two-hour test. You've got plenty of those weapons to work with. The Angels just need fresh blood right now. Mike Sosha was there 19 years, but they weren't making the postseason Despite all the talent they had, things weren't going the way they wanted to. They made the right decision, went a different direction. I don't know who initiated it between Soja or the Angels front office. But either way, the move was made. It was the right move. They need somebody in there who's going to work with the talent they have. So I get you want to get the best guy possible. You want to get it right. You don't know how much longer you're going to have Mike Trout in L.A., especially if you don't make the playoffs. And you don't know how much longer the fans are going to give you a chance. They're not okay with 500 seasons anymore. They want somebody who's gonna win now, so they're taking the best approach they feel to do so. And they feel that's a two-hour written test. To me, that's a deterrent. I don't think that makes it an attractive job. To me, I have a lot of hesitancy anyway if I'm applying for the Angels' managerial job. You're gonna be under a ton of scrutiny. The leash won't be nearly as long as it was for Mike Socha. You're gonna be expected to win within a year or two, and by win, that means 85 plus games and a postseason berth. You have to with that roster; otherwise, they're gonna keep cycling through managers until somebody gets into the postseason. What's Usain Bolt doing these days? Well, he retired from professional sprinting, and now he's playing soccer. He scored his first career goal for the Central Coast Mariners of the Australian League last week. And now he has been offered a two-year contract in Europe. Usain Bolt is being recruited to play soccer. Neither the club nor the amount of the contract offer has been revealed, although it is for two years and it's a two-way deal. Bolt looks like he could realistically be a professional soccer player. His dream job is to play for Manchester United. It's his favorite team. This would be his opportunity to get into professional soccer in Europe just after retiring from racing. Usain Bolt, the Jamaican sprinter, has won eight Olympic gold medals. Could he be adding a few soccer trophies to his walls here in the near future? Meanwhile, the Jimmy Butler saga continues. The Wolves have said that they are still looking in to trading Butler. Although Butler is expected to play when the Timberwolves open up the new season Wednesday night in San Antonio. I'll say it again, I don't think Jimmy's end goal out of this is to be traded. If he does, fine. But Jimmy wants limelight and attention and he wants to get the most out of whatever team he's on. Being the nice guy, kind of like what Odell was doing with New York Being the nice guy has not worked for Jimmy Butler. It has not gotten the results that Timberwolves won. So right or wrong, he's going a different route, and he's putting his teammates right to the fire to try to get him to respond. Last Thursday, after his tirade at practice, the Timberwolves canceled practice, and he had a players-only meeting. Why do that if you're looking to leave these guys? If you think they're truly a group of bums and you want to get out of there so bad, Why step up and be a leader like that? He's invested in this team. He is way too much to want to be traded. On the other hand, he could be taking a page from LeBron's playbook. He could be wanting to go to Miami so badly because, like LeBron, he knows he's not going to win a title this year. Golden State's going to do it. And if not Golden State, somebody like Boston, Houston, Philadelphia, Toronto, someone like that. He knows Minnesota's not going to be hoisting the NBA championship trophy this June. So maybe he's looking at it from the angle that I'm a young guy, I want to live in a fun city and get paid as much money as possible. If I'm not here to win championships, I'm going to live somewhere cool, like Miami, and I'm going to get paid a lot of money, be a very rich man. So worst case scenario, he's stuck in Minnesota, he gets to play with a team that. I still believe he cares about and a team that can go a long way in the postseason this year. They won't win it. They won't win it. But when you get to games that count, that really count, Jimmy Butler is a guy you want in your team. He's going to make a big difference for the Timberwolves squad if he stays. And if he doesn't, then he gets to pick whatever city he wants to go to, have fun, live the life, be a pro basketball player and enjoy all that comes with it and make a ton of money in the process. NFL news out of Detroit today. The Lions have announced that they are placing Jamal Agnew on the injured reserve. Corresponding move? They signed linebacker Taylor Bates from the practice squad. He will dress on Sunday when the Lions take the field in Miami for a 1 o'clock kickoff against the Dolphins. It's an especially tough break for the Lions when they have a little momentum trying to get back into the NFC North race. You've got Darius Slay back there trying to do his thing, but you need some help around him. Darius Slay is one of the top corners in the NFL. He's a guy that flies under the radar for a lot of people. He's not a household name outside of Lion territory, but he probably should be. But you need to compliment him with guys like Jamal Agnew. Agnew's injury is going to mean a lot to Detroit. But you couple that with Miami and the fact they may not have Ryan Tannehill for that Sunday game. And you wonder where that leaves them. Well, that does it for our hour here on the Sports Pen. As always, appreciate you tuning in. Hope that you enjoyed the show as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. Again, if you missed this episode or any of our Sports Pens, you can go back in the on-demand section of our free mobile app, get caught up on everything you need to know. With that app, you can get connected with us on social media, follow us on Twitter at ESPNUP, and like us on Facebook. We have a free mobile app available on Google Play, the Apple iStore. You can hear live broadcast. You can listen on demand with it. Very handy app, especially if you're trying to tune in to the Brewers postseason. We will have Game 3 of the NLCS tonight from Los Angeles carried right here on ESPN-UP and on our mobile app. 7.39 is the first pitch. Shasheen going up against Bueller. It's going to be a good one. Signing off from the ESPN-WZAM studios, Ishbaming Marquette, I'm Tanner Hoops.